Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take a stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Well, good morning. Glad to have you in our 11 o'clock service today here at Calvary. We're welcome to have those who are joining us online. We're glad to have you here. And um, I wanted to just uh, give you an update. Uh, you, many of you know that we support mission partners all around the world. And I uh, want to tell you about a new mission partner that we have here at Calvary. And it's a young couple. I'm going to give you uh, their first names, but not their last names. I'm going to show you a picture if you're here in the room, but we're not going to show their picture online. And we're going to tell you they're going to a country that vitally needs the gospel, but we're not going to tell you what country. So that's helpful and not helpful, right? But uh, Kyle and Kat and their daughter Serenity are uh, preparing next weekend to leave our country, to go to another country. It's a country where it is closed to the gospel. They will go and they'll be a part of just working there and working hard and they'll be a part of a ministry where they'll try to encourage the underground church. They'll try to uh, share their faith and they'll work to help other believers and they've been trained over the last couple of years in knowing how to exactly do this. And uh, so I want to ask you to pray for uh, Kyle and Kat and their little girl. Uh, you can pray for their parents as well, as they have sensed. Uh, Kyle has been serving in pastoral ministry. Many of you know Kyle. He grew up here at Calvary. We prayed for him a number of years ago when he was in an accident, and, and so you're familiar with him. And uh, just be praying for them as they settle in in the next few weeks in this summer. Uh, into that setting, and uh, we're not sharing some of the details because we want to protect their identity. If their identity was discovered, they'd be thrown out of that country, and they really have a burden. God has put a burden on their hearts to go there with the gospel, to be missionaries in that setting, and we partner with them. We want to partner with them in prayer, and as you give to the general fund offering here at Calvary, you're supporting folks like uh, Kyle and Kat, and so I want to encourage you to be praying for them. If you would like to know more information about that, uh, you, about them, you can contact uh, Pastor Brian Field, our missions pastor, and he'll give to you what he can share, but we want to uh, support them and stand with them, and I just want to pause and pray right now uh, for them. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for the, the burden, the passion you've given, the calling you have on Kyle and Kat to leave this nation, go to a place where the gospel is so desperately needed, where Christians often are persecuted, and I pray that they'd be able to just uh, settle in there and uh, share their faith with people in a clear way. I pray that you protect them, protect the believers they have contact with, protect them as they seek to live and love like Jesus in that setting. 
Give us the financial resources to support them in their work there. Thank you for the provision you provided so that we can be a part of partnerships like this. And I pray that, Lord, you would bless them. I pray for their parents, their families who are here. As I know, their heart is with them, but there's also that letting go and, and trusting you. We pray for them as well. May we be able to hear years from now how you have used them in that unique setting to spread the good news of Jesus. And maybe we'd see that good news of Jesus turn even a nation upside down because it transforms so many lives. We pray your blessing on them in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was a kid, I grew up in uh, northern Indiana, in Mishawaka, Indiana. And the town I grew up in uh, was not a big city. Uh, the outskirts of the city kind of ended with 18th Street. So that tells you how many streets, you know, kind of we had. And uh, we lived outside of the city when I was in kindergarten. While I was in, in kindergarten, our part of our area was incorporated into the city of Mishawaka. I lived on a dead-end street, a cinder street. And at the end, there were some fields and some woods and some people's property, and we could walk through all that to get to 18th Street. And I grew up, my best friend was Lance, and uh, he lived next door. We didn't have very many kids in our neighborhood. It was Lance, and his older sister was four years older, and she had very little to do with us. And then my brother was three or four years younger than us, and uh, so it was kind of me and Lance, and we would drag Troy along from time to time with us. And uh, we decided, I don't know how this got into our heads, one summer we decided we need to build a fort in the woods between our dead end street and 18th street. And in our idea, we needed to be ready for battle. We're like nine, 10 years old, ready for battle in case the 18th street kids tried to attack us. So we got some scrap lumber from our dads and took some nails and hammers. And I remember we left some of the tools out in the woods and it rained and our dads weren't so happy about all that. But we worked really hard to build this fort so we could be ready to go to battle with the 18th Street kids. Now Lance and I had lunch a few years ago. We kind of were talking about this. and We realized we didn't know any 18th Street kids. They had never threatened us. We didn't even know if there were any kids on 18th Street. But we were ready for war in case they came. We built this fort, kind of this lean-to kind of thing out of scraps. And then one day we sat in there just waiting for the attack to come. And it never came. Now we're going to talk today about being ready for battle. And just as that's kind of a unique situation to be ready for a battle that there weren't any, wasn't anybody even to battle you, we're going to talk about getting ready for a battle and to be a part of a war, but there are some unique dynamics that are unusual to this preparation and to this war that is being waged around us. If you'll open your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to be looking at verses 10 through 20. And as you are looking at Ephesians chapter 6, I want to remind you we've been in this book of Ephesians. It's a letter written from the Apostle Paul in the first century. He's writing from prison. He's been in prison for preaching the gospel, and he's writing to the believers in the first century city of Ephesus within the Roman Empire. And we're going to talk about being ready for battle. You can go there on your mobile device, or if you've got a hard copy of the Bible, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. And we have just heard, as Pastor Steve Day read, verse 10, as Paul moves into this final chapter of the book and gets into the final subject of this very book. He says in verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And I want us to understand today as we look at this passage that when you feel like you're under attack, remember you don't have to win what's already won. The victory is already ours. Jesus won the victory in this war in his death, burial, and resurrection. And one day he's coming again to vanquish his enemies and to set everything right. 
And right now we live as a part of an unleashing of his kingdom through our lives that is countercultural and it turns everything upside down. And as the gospel spreads, lives are changed and his kingdom spreads and his victory spreads. When you feel like you're under attack, maybe some of you have gone through some medical crisis or some family crisis or a financial thing or a job thing. Maybe you feel like circumstances are overwhelming you. Maybe you even feel like there's been demonic oppression or, or even possession in someone you love. When you feel like you're under attack, remember you don't have to win what's already won. But you do have to be strong in the winner who has already won it for you. This, is, this whole book is about being in Christ. And even as he talks about this warfare, he's gonna talk about just what we just sang in, in the song, In Christ Alone. We stand in his power and his might. We've gotta be strong in that. Jesus told us, I've already won the victory. First John 4, 4 says, you dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. John remembered what Jesus had said in the upper room. He, he said he'd overcome the world. He's won the victory. So then how do we get ready for a battle in a war that's already been won and what are our responsibilities in that? Well, let's look at that. I wanna look at three things here that we're to do as this war rages on around us, even as the victory has already been secured. Number one, stand up and be ready to engage the right enemy with clarity. Be ready to engage the right enemy with clarity. He speaks a lot here about standing and making sure you know who you're at war with. Our struggle, first of all, is with Satan and his demons, not with other people. Our ultimate war is a spiritual war. It's not about a battle with other people and their ideas and their choices of life and their behaviors and how they treat us. It's a struggle ultimately with a realm that we often forget is really there. Look at verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, not against people, but against the rulers. And this, this list that he gives here is some language for the ranks in an army, for against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There is a spiritual battle going on between the God who created us and his angel armies and Lucifer, Satan, the devil, who was once the greatest being, one of the greatest beings God had ever created, a beautiful angel. And he said in Isaiah 11, I will be like God, I will be like God, I will be like God. And God cast him from heaven and all of the angels that rebelled with him were cast from heaven. And Satan and that demonic legion of fallen angels is doing everything it can to thwart the purposes of God, doing everything they can to stop the light of the glorious gospel of Christ from shining into the hearts of men's, men and women all around the world, boys and girls all around the world. Paul said that he's the one who keeps people in the darkness. And our struggle is not with other people. Our struggle is with Satan and the demons that work with him. There are two extremes that Satan loves for us to think about him and the demons that help him and work for him. One is that they just don't exist. This is just a bunch of baloney. It's just a bunch of folklore, religious folklore. That's good, because if you don't think he's there, he's gonna be easy, you're gonna be easy prey for him. But the other side is that you're just constantly thinking about what's going on in the demonic world, and, and you're so worried and fearful, and you forget that the victory's already won. He wants you to be intimidated and, and stunned and constantly occupied 
with what he's doing or the demons are doing. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, we read, Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. He is a beautiful being. The hideous pictures that are given in horror movies of the demonic world and of Satan, yes, they can project themselves that way, but, they, but he is an angel of light. He makes what is wrong look right. He makes what is bad look good. He makes what God has forbidden look like something enticing. He takes the, the, the temptations that our flesh wants to jump toward and the world bombards us with when it comes to lust and greed and pride, and he's constantly on the attack. But he does it with subtlety. He, he also wants you to think that that image of a guy wearing red leotards and horns and a pointed tail and a pitchfork he wants you to think that's him, that he's some sort of cartoonish character. He wants you to think that he's just occupying hell as the warden of hell, and he's shoveling coal into the flames. No, he is not in hell. One day he will be, but right now he's the prince of the power of the air. Chapter 2 of Ephesians told us he is actively involved in this war with God, trying to thwart God, even though he knows the victory is already secured. He's doing everything he can to keep as many people in the darkness as possible. He's an angel of light. He's deceptive. He's going to make bad things look good. Relationships you shouldn't be in is the only relationship you could ever want. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be alert and sober. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now we, we picture this. When we first read this. The lion just roars around all the time. Roar, roar, just roaring. To, and, and people are, you know, animals are fleeing. And so if Satan is that kind of creature, then people are just fleeing from him. But actually, the way the lion uses that roar is very strategic. A lion quietly, cat-like, gets as close to its prey as it can. And when the prey doesn't notice it, it roars as loud as it can, immobilizing, scaring the prey so that it freezes up and the lion has the advantage. And Satan is trying to lull you and just can get you to a place where you're not thinking that anything can happen to you and where you think you're fine and then he wants to destroy you. Be alert, be of a sober mind. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 says, The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. This is a spiritual warfare that is being carried out by Satan himself with all the demons that work for him. Let me just say this. He and his demons are your enemy, not your spouse, not your kids, not your grandkids, not your coworker, not your neighbor, not the Republicans, not the Democrats, not the people of that other religion. They are not your enemy. This war is not a psychological war. This war is, is not a sociological war. This war is not a cultural war. This war is not a physical war. This is a spiritual war that has implications in all those other areas. Some of you maybe have begun to see your spouse because there have been some fractures in your relationship. You've seen your spouse as the enemy or maybe one of your kids because of the way they've been behaving or maybe they've gone a different path and so now you see them as your enemy or your grandchild or, again, a coworker. It could be somebody, they are not your enemy. Maybe on the way home, you need to look at your spouse and just say, you know what, I was reminded today, you're not my enemy. Some marriages get to that place where you just got to remind yourself and your spouse, we're not enemies here. 
and see your children through the eyes of love, not that they're your enemy because they've done this or they've done that or they've rejected this. Our struggle is with Satan and his demons, not with other people. Secondly, our struggle as we take the stand, our struggle is to take a stand, not to launch an attack. I think some of the scariest people in Christianity I've met are people who are like demon ghostbusters. They are obsessed with demons being behind everything and anything, and they are constantly going after demons. The demonic world loves it when we are more obsessed with Satan and the demons than we are with Christ and his gospel. It's interesting, in this passage, it talks about spiritual warfare. I hope you hear people say, you see, it's, it's in Ephesians 6. We're supposed to attack Satan. We're to launch attacks. We're to fight. We're to go on the offensive. We're to go to battle. No, you know what it says over and over again? It says, stand firm in the Lord. That's how you are strong in the power of his might, is you stand in him and in his victory. Verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Verse 13, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your guard and after you've done everything to stand, verse 14 says, stand firm. You're getting the point here? Stand, stand, stand. We just sang about that. In Christ alone, we stand in his power, his might, his strength. C.S. Lewis said, there is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. And as God's kingdom spreads and we take our stand, we don't give up the territory of our lives or our homes to Satan and his dominions, but we stand firm in the Lord. Let me just say this. There is no place in the life of a believer for anything linked to the occult or to demons or Satan. Stay away from the horoscope with the newspaper or online. Stay away from the tarot cards and the palm readers. Stay away from the crystals and all that kind of stuff that Satan wants us to get caught up in so that we think we're, we're finding some spiritual or some secret knowledge. He loves all that stuff because it distracts us from Christ and his word. I even would suggest you stay away from movies and books and things that just draw your mind, online gaming that draws your mind into the demonic world constantly and constantly. We need to take our stand. One of my hardest, perhaps, things I've dealt with in one of the hardest things I've dealt with in my pastoral ministry is to deal with people who are either oppressed or possessed by demons. And I have been with people where we've prayed and, and you can just see as they wrestle that a demon that has been possessing them has left them as their lives are captured by Christ and they turn themselves over to Christ you could just see the change that comes and those have been scary moments. And believe me, I don't go looking or chasing demons. I appreciate how our pastors approach that on our team and specifically Pastor Steve Day and he's our care pastor, but he's also the one we tend to go to and say, hey, we've got someone who believes there's demonic activity taking place in their home or their family. And he pairs up with a man named Dave, and Dave, in his background, had touched into the world of the occult, and so he has a, a sense about him and takes the scriptures. But you know what I love about when those guys go into a situation, we send them in, is they go in there not trying to just look for a demon under every rock. Sometimes they go in there and just say, you just need to obey God's word. You just need to 
But their approach is one where they're, they're helping that individual find and take a stand in Christ, not chase a demon and grab it by its tail and swing it around spiritually and throw it out. We're to take our stand in Christ. I love in the Old Testament the story of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah in the seventh century BC. And, and Jehoshaphat comes to a day when his three worst enemies gang up to take him to war and they're gonna meet in a valley one day. The challenge is to come out the next day and so Jehoshaphat gets the people together and, and they pray and fast and cry out to the Lord and as they're crying out to the Lord, God uses the voice of a man and the spirit speaks through this man and he says, King Jehoshaphat, you're facing these three enemies. You're about to be demolished. But let me tell you, the battle is not yours, it's the Lord's. Maybe you've come in here with a battle in your life. It's been a physical battle. It's been something you've been dealing with health-wise or someone you love or it's been finances and you just feel like it's, it's beyond just the normal stuff and you feel like there's demonic stuff stirring that up. I don't know what it is, but whatever the battle is, it's not yours, it's the Lord's. This voice in the crowd says, and Jehoshaphat, tomorrow you get out, you get everybody suited up for war and you go out and you stand ready to engage in battle. But then you stand still and you watch and you see God provide his salvation in this. And he says, oh yeah, and by the way, when you go out tomorrow, keep the armies in the back and put the choir and the band up front. Now in a day and age when war was done, you know, real close quarters so that you got so close to the guy you were fighting in battle that you knew from his breath what he had for breakfast. You don't usually start with the choir and the band singing praises to God because they will be sliced and diced before the soldiers in the back get to the, the line of battle. But they do what they were told, and they go out singing the praises of God with the band and the choir leading first, and they get out there for battle, and God says, stand still now, all dressed for battle, ready to go, and see the salvation of the Lord. Well, when they got to the crest of this hill and they look down to the valley where the battle was to be, they see that all the soldiers of these three armies are dead because the three nations turned against each other in the night and killed each other. They learned that the battle belongs to God. We have to stand firm in the Lord, stand up and be ready to engage the right enemy with clarity. Secondly, we need to suit up and be ready to fight the real war with confidence. Suit up and be ready to fight the real war with confidence. Our confidence is in Christ. This whole book is about in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, who we are before God in Christ, how we live this life in Christ. And now he's gonna tell us about how we suit up for battle. Let me just encourage you right now as a practical thing you can do this week. We're gonna look at six items here of the armor that we're to put on. And you can take these six things from I take note, or you can take them right from the scriptures themselves and just pray those six things, putting those things on every morning. This is the spiritual armor, and you can just pray through this. And all these things have to do with who we are in Christ, who we are in Christ. We're gonna stand firm in Christ. And when we stand firm in Christ, James says that when we resist the devil, he flees from us. We don't have to go chasing him. We resist him by standing firm in Christ. We'll see in verse 11, it says, put on the armor of God. Verse 13 says, put on the armor of God. The first time it says it, it uses the verb that literally means just put something on. The second time, in English, it says, put on the armor of God, the whole armor of God, the full armor of God. 
But it's a different verb. It's the idea of pick up these pieces and put them each on. That's what I'm encouraging you to pray through. But let's look at these six items. The first three have to do with the basic armor that any Roman soldier of the first century when Paul was writing would wear. The first is the belt of truth. This holds everything together. This belt came around the waist and it took the, the, the breastplate and, and the body armor. It took the stuff that might be hanging toward the back. It took the things that were covering the legs. And this thing, this belt brought it all together. If you didn't have this, it would be cumbersome and you'd kind of fumble around. And so this belt being on and having it in place is very important. It holds everything together. That's why verse 14 says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. This is about the truth of Christ and who Christ is and who we are in Christ. We're to have that belt of truth of of who we are in Jesus. That truth holds everything together. Secondly, there's the body body armor or uh, breastplate of righteousness. This is sure survival. In the ancient world, they knew that if a spear, a javelin, a sword punctured any part of the chest, the abdomen, even back to the kidneys, uh, the wound itself would kill you or the infection that would come would kill you. And so they knew how important it was for survival that you have the right body armor. And for us who are followers of Christ, the only way we can survive now and forever is not to be clothed in our own goodness but to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And we need that before God because on our own, we're clothed in our own unrighteousness and our own attempts at being good on our own and our own self-righteousness. But we repent of our sin and our own attempts to be right with God and our own self-righteousness. And we come to this place where we are clothed in his righteousness, where we put our faith in Jesus who died, was buried, and was raised for us. And the moment we turn from our sin and our self-righteousness and we rest in Jesus, then God clothes us in the righteousness of Christ. He sees us. That is what assures our survival. Not our own efforts, not our own. It's Jesus and his righteousness. And if you haven't come to faith in Christ, then you don't have that righteousness. You can't even rest in that and put that on. Let me encourage you today, put your faith in Jesus He'll forgive you of your sins and he'll clothe you in righteousness and that's how he'll see you now and forever. So let me just encourage you, if you're joining us online or you're here in the room, you can text the name Jesus to the number below me on the screen and that number comes to us. You just put the name Jesus in the message and you get some information right back from us and then this week somebody on our team will follow up because we want to answer any questions about what it means to come to faith in Christ. We want to celebrate with you if that's what you've done. And then I'll be in the lobby after the service if you want to speak to me. Our care and prayer team will be down front after the service if you want to speak to them, ask questions. We'd be willing to pray with you, just to celebrate with you. And then, child of God, as you put on that, you pray through it, you put on the belt of truth, this is who I am in Christ. Then you put on this body armor of righteousness that God sees me as righteous and this assures that nothing can ever happen to me. As we sang No power of hell, no scheme of man can pluck me from his hand when we are in Christ. See, verse 14 says that we're to suit up with the breastplate of righteousness in place. And the third one that is just a part of every Roman soldier's attire or part of his armor would be the shoes of peace. Uh, This rests in the gospel. The shoes of peace, this rests in the gospel. This would be where 
they would take kind of a sandal, and Roman soldiers had kind of the advanced form of the sandal, even had tread on the bottom so that it could handle beach war or on the rocks or wherever they would be. This would give them good footing. And it was interesting that this sandal was different and that it wrapped up around the foot a little more, and it laced up sometimes even to hold like shin guards, and sometimes it would lace up even into the legs, some versions of it. And, and so it was very laced together in such a way that if you didn't lace it correctly, you were going to stumble and fall over your own feet. So you need to make sure the foundation was good and you had these things tied up properly. And what is that? That is the gospel is our foundation. It's the gospel that gives us peace with God. And then as we live our lives, we unleash that peace as we live out his kingdom values. We live in love like Jesus in this world. But we've got to make sure we've got that. We understand that. And we're resting in the good news of Jesus Christ. You know, Coach John Wooden, who was such a success as a coach of the UCLA men's basketball team in the 70s, uh, it, there's this, this famous story about how each year, no matter how long these guys had played, even if they just won the national championship, the next year in the first practice they got together, he would get a tennis shoe and have them all get their tennis shoe. My friend Ralph Drollinger played for John Wooden and I asked him if this story was true and he said it was. He would, he would hear they were you know, men in college who'd been very successful basketball players and he'd have them get out their tennis shoe and, and he would then teach them how to tie their shoes. And some of them would get a little frustrated and, but his point was, if you don't have your shoes on correctly, you can be the greatest basketball player and if you trip over your own shoelaces, you're gonna fail. So he started right there with the basics, and that's what having our, as it says here in verse 15, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. That means we have the basics of understanding the gospel that gives us peace with God so that no matter what war is raging around us, we're standing firmly in Christ, in Christ. Now these first three that I've mentioned, the belt of truth, the breastplate or body armor of righteousness, and the feet having been fitted with the shoes of peace in the gospel. These first three things would be a part of a Roman soldier's uniform, whether he was just standing guarding something, whether he was, because the Romans were the first to use their army as like police officers. And so sometimes in some of the Roman cities, like in Jerusalem, there would be a couple of them just standing around in the corner because they were the police. And this is what they'd be wearing. And then they'd be given certain kinds of equipment beyond that. But even if they were part of an attack on a city or they were taking on a riot or they were defending part of their territory, this would be the basic stuff they would wear. And then things change a little bit. Now it gets specific to to the type of warrior that you're gonna be in terms of the tools you're gonna have in this. And so the, the fourth item of this armor is the shield of faith. This extinguishes intense attacks. It's the shield of faith. It extinguishes intense attacks. Verse 16 says, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So this is a shield that when the evil one is shooting at you, fiery arrows in, in the world in which Paul is writing, one, they didn't have artillery, they didn't have, uh, they didn't have grenades, and so most of it was that kind of battle where you would, by the breath of the person you're fighting with, know what they had for breakfast, you got that close. But the only distance kind of stuff would be some javelins, but arrows could be shot at a distance. And then one thing they would do is they would 
they would attach a rag soaked in oil, set it on fire, and then shoot that. And it might catch some guy's hair on fire, and it catches the next guy's hair on fire, and then catches this horse. It, it, whatever the, whatever's going on, it's going to bring destruction. And you see, Satan, when he lobs temptations at us in the area of lust and greed and pride and all the different facets of that, and he's trying to tempt you, it's like a fiery arrow that he's shooting into your life, just trying to get that fire burning, and it'll spread very quickly and destroy you. But the, the shield is so important. It's the shield of faith. It's, it's faith in our Lord. So no matter what happens, we have him. We are secure. We can trust him. Fifth is the helmet of salvation. This provides personal security. This is one, again, that they wouldn't always wear, but when they were going into a situation where it was needed in battle and they could take a blow to the head, this would protect them from even getting a concussion or other troubles. And so this helmet is so important. It provides personal security. He says, the helmet of salvation, in verse 17, take the helmet of salvation. This is, again, who we are in Christ, that we are rescued and that we are secure. There is nothing that can remove us from God's hand. We are his now and forever because we are saved in Christ and his finished work for us. Sixth and finally is the sword of the Spirit, often described as the only offensive weapon here. It strikes at the enemy. It strikes at the enemy. And they would have this sword, and that way, as they stood their ground, the sword could defend and could lean forward and, and be used to, to bring injury to the other and to defend that place. Verse 17 says, And take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. When you're being tempted with lust, when you're being tested with an area of greed or money or cheating on your taxes or cheating out a business partner or you're dealing with pride or arrogance that's setting in because of some of your accomplishments and you're feeding on that. As those attacks come, the shield is used to keep them from burning our lives down. And the sword is the truth of God's word. The word of God was given to us by the living word. The living word himself, Jesus Christ, when he was tempted by Satan, during his 40 days in the wilderness before he began his earthly ministry, Satan came to him and tempted him, and Jesus on each occasion used the word of God in response to Satan. So if you're tempted in a specific area, learn scriptures that speak to that area. When the temptation comes, quote that back to yourself. Quote that back to Satan. It's the sword of the Spirit. These six things, can I encourage you this week? Just put on the belt. Put on the body armor. Make sure you're, you're, you're resting in the gospel. Put on those shoes, the gospel of peace. Make sure you take up the shield. Make sure that you have that helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit. These are all the things about who we are, as this book has been talking about, in Christ, and we stand firm in Christ. Did anybody notice that I, I didn't use a picture for one of the items? Which item was it? The shield. There's a reason for that. Because I think sometimes we get the wrong idea of what the shield is about. There's something very important that the shield tells us about all the armor and about our warfare and how we take our stand. This is always throughout this when he says you, you, or the, 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 the person he's speaking to is second person plural as he's writing to the church at Ephesus. We, we picture the shield, sometimes we get a cartoon kind of image of, of the, the soldier that's got the full armor of God on. There it is, all pieces are on, right? And we see him with this shield that is the cross, and he's there, he's ready for the attack, he's ready for the battle. 
Sometimes we make it even more intense, not just a cartoon kind of character, but sometimes we go a little further. We want to see an intense, strong warrior standing up against the fiery attacks, and he's out there, he's on his own, and he's fighting. But the shield in both of these images is one kind of shield a Roman soldier would use when they were policing, but when they were defending ground or taking ground, that is not the kind of sword they used, or shield they used. There was another shield. This shield was like a door, today's door in size. And it was like this. These, these guys are, are gonna lock their shields together just standing there and, and there are more. You see one person, but there are more people there. And when they're on the move, when they're on the move with these shields, they called these actually uh, tortoise shields in Latin. And this was the tortoise formation. And that's what Paul is picturing when he talks about the shield of faith. This is about interlocking your shield with other warrior shield, other brothers and sisters in Christ, their shields. And notice they can move, and the fiery darts will be stopped by this kind of shield. They would even soak these. Sometimes they have leather on the front and soak them. And this is the formation. This is the kind of shield. Not one guy all alone out there for Jesus. No, it's us together. That's why we need small groups. That's why we need prayer groups. That's why we need Bible studies. That's why we need times together. That's why we need to serve together. That's why we need to worship together because we're locking our shields of faith together. We're not alone in this. We stand firm together. Even this image, an old sketch, it shows how this could be used in in the Roman times of trying to take a city. The shield could almost withstand it. They made a wall, they made a roof for their protection together. They stood together. And remember I told you this was called the, the tortoise. And this is a picture kind of where it comes from. The, the shield they created together, one shield. The tortoise formation. It looked like this again where you've got everybody locked together and protected. The tortoise shield was not this kind of shield. This is the incorrect version of it. And some of us, that's our approach to our spiritual lives. That's not the imagery in this shield. As a matter of fact, if one person falls, they were all in danger. I love this cartoon. Dude, get up! (laughs) Now this is the picture. We've all got the right stuff on. We've got the sword on our side but our shields are locked together. You're not alone in this. Maybe you say, oh yeah, I am because I've been withdrawing from all these things. Engage again with God's body. Lean in. We need each other. We need to suit up, but we don't do it alone. Stand up and be ready to engage the right enemy with clarity. Suit up and be ready to fight the real war with confidence. Put on that armor this week those various pieces. And then remember when you get to the shield, I've got this big shield. How am I locking that shield together with other believers to withstand the attack? Third and finally, we wanna look up. Look up and be ready to bombard the royal throne with prayer. Bombard the royal throne of heaven with prayer. We go to the King of kings and Lord of lords with our request. Verse 18 through 20, this is the section Pastor Steve did not read. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all, for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. 
look up and be ready to bombard the royal throne in prayer. Prayer is a part of our spiritual warfare. We're locked together in our shields. We're suited up and ready. We're defending our ground. We're standing firm in Christ. It is his battle, not ours. He's already won the war. Verse 18, it clearly says, and pray. And then throughout these verses, pray, pray, pray. Someone has said this, the devil saw me with my head down and thought he had won until he heard me say, amen. So how do we pray? First of all, for all the right reasons, verse 18, in the spirit, pray in the spirit. This is according to God's will, according to God's plan. At all the right times, verse 18, on all occasions, there is never a moment you cannot pray. You can pray silently in a crowd. You can pray with others. You can pray in a small place, a large place. You can pray indoors, outdoors. On all occasions, it's always the right time to pray. With all the right approaches, verse 18 says, with all kinds of prayers and requests. Just These can be short requests, long requests. With all the right approaches, you can pray with your eyes closed, laying flat on your floor in your room before God, praying to him on your knees with your eyes closed and your head bowed so you have no distractions. You can pray while you're driving down the road. Just keep your eyes open. You can pray on all occasions with all kinds of approaches, short prayers, long prayers. Bombard heaven with your prayers and requests and that of your brothers and sisters in Christ. For all the right people, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people, all the right people. Pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ, whatever they're going through. We're in this together. You're not alone. And with all the right boldness. Paul is in prison for preaching the gospel. He's chained to Roman guards. You'd say, okay, Paul, you don't have to really work for the gospel right now. We'll take care of that. But he says, no, 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 no. He says, pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. I can't preach out there. I'm in this prison. I've got two guards here with me, chained to me. Guess what? God's given me a ministry to these guys. They can't go anywhere. Give, pray that I'll give, have boldness in sharing Christ with them. And then he concludes in verse 20, pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Boldness. We need to pray for one another for boldness. There are a group of prayer warriors that have partnered with me over the years. For a long time was led by Craig Arnold. He did a great job leading it. It's called the Pastor's Prayer Partners. Before COVID, they would come to our campus and in rotation, they would pray once every five or six weeks. And so we had every weekend covered during the 11 o'clock service, then the nine o'clock service. We were working toward the six o'clock Saturday night service. They'd pray the whole service. They'd go in beforehand and pray with them. And then they would pray for all the different ministries. Pray for me. They'd pray for boldness for me. And I would encourage you to pray boldness for me in this era where if you say this, these people condemn you. If you say this, these people condemn you. And all you're doing is preaching Jesus. Pray for boldness. But I appreciate those of you who have been pastor's prayer partners. Thank you for partnering with us. We have a new leader to the pastor's prayer partners, Bob Brooks. My friend Bob Brooks will be leading that. We're going to be relaunching it here in just a couple weeks. If you're interested in figuring out how you can be a part of the pastor's prayer partners, you want to join us in this area of bombarding the throne room of heaven, going before the king, reach out to my assistant, Loretta. Just call and ask for my office and ask for my assistant, and she'll help you connect means the world to me when I know that there are people in our congregation praying for me and for the ministry of Calvary. We need to be praying for Kyle and Kat, and they're going to be in a situation where we need to be their prayer warriors, standing with them, bombarding heaven with them, having our shield of faith up, linked with theirs. 
So let me ask you, are you standing up, ready to engage the right enemy with clarity? Are you suiting up and being ready to fight the real war with confidence? You're looking up and being ready to bombard the royal throne with prayer. It's about taking the stand in the victory God has given us and living that out every day. Are you ready for battle? Are you ready for battle? September 2nd, 1945, the Japanese government signed the surrender. The war was over in the Pacific. And they gathered their soldiers from all the different islands that they had invaded and they made their way back home and they knew there were three soldiers on Labang Island who had been left there by their supervisor. Uh, the one who was in charge of them said to stay there and blow up this airfield on Labang Island in the Philippines. And over the coming years, two of the men died. They'd been living in a cave, still trying to fight the war. Almost three decades later, there was still one of those soldiers getting up every morning, shining his sword, getting his gun ready, and he was there in that cave, continuing to fight the battle for the Japanese government in World War II. He was there when a college student, who was the first to actually make contact with him directly without being attacked or shot at, got there and spoke to him and told him the war was over and he could come home. And he said he wouldn't do that unless his commanding officer came and told him it was okay to go home. So this man, Hiro Onoda, came out of the jungle on March 9th, 1974, on that Labang Island in the Philippines, and his commanding officer told him the war was over and he was relieved of his duties, and he saluted and handed his sword and his gun over. He went home a great victor, and they celebrated him in Japan for his tenacity and his commitment. In 2014, he died at the age of 91, but he'd written a book and he had done many interviews. One of the things in all of the interviews and in his book that was central was he said, I wasted so much of my life because I was doing all these things and working so hard and I didn't know that the war was over. I think there are a lot of Christians who are working in their own strength and we're to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. We're to stand up Stand firm in Christ. We're to suit up with the armor of God that reminds us of who we are in Christ. And we're to look up, bombard heaven with our requests and requests of others. And remember, you're not alone. We're locking shields together as we take our stand in this battle for Christ. And as we do, more and more territory is taken as the gospel spreads, the darkness flees from the minds and hearts of individuals, and more and more people come to Jesus as his kingdom rolls out and his victory continues to free lives from the power of sin, the flesh, the world, and the devil. Are you ready for battle? Suit up this week. Remind yourself who you are in Christ. Look up to God. Stand firm in the Lord. Oh, Father, as we read this passage, we, we want to be chasing after demons and Satan all the time, or we just want to bare our heads and not believe that there is a world around us, there are beings around us all the time at war. But help us to see what your word says, that we are in this battle in a war that's already been won, and we need to stand firm in our victor. And when we feel like we're under attack, may we understand we just keep going back to who we are in him and what that means in our lives.
That's where you give us strength. We experience the power of your might. Father, I pray for those who've been wrestling and maybe even feel like they've had demonic oppression or possession in their life, the life of someone they love. I pray that you'd bring freedom. May they be a part of waging this war the way you've called us to be waging this war, to be ready and to watch and see what you do, only what you can do. Thank you so much for Jesus and who we are in Christ. May we leave this place ready for battle, knowing the war has already been won. The battle is yours, not ours. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.